In the next uh, eight to ten weeks, we're going to be talking about a period in Israel's history where they were in exile. And uh, this is a pretty difficult thing to track. And so in order to help you track it, we put together a little, it's a little book, it's 85 pages. Uh, it's got everything from an outline of the series. It's got study questions that you can use in small groups or, or individually. It's got other passages of Scripture that come alongside the ones I'm using. It has additional resources, even a glossary of terms. Uh, and it's free. That's the part you're waiting to hear. It's at the door. <laughs> I think we made a thousand of these things. You can pick one up. Take one if you want to use it and uh, bring it home with you. And it allows you to take notes in it, even in church and while you're reading the scripture alone. And as you do, I hope the Lord uh, will move your heart as he has mine these last few months as I've studied this. I was in Lexington, Kentucky, actually Wilmore, just a few weeks ago where I was speaking. And I got up that morning and got ready to go to the auditorium. And the front page of the Lexington Herald broke the news. Kim Davis was a county clerk in the Rowan County uh, office where she was ordered to issue marriage licenses and when gay couples came into the office seeking a uh, license for marriage, she refused. So she was taken in before the judge asked to give account for her actions, which she did. The judge then asked if she would uh, continue to recuse herself but allow her assistants to sign the license in her place. Again, she refused. And the headline in the paper that morning said that the judge would now decide what her fate would be. I folded up the paper, put it in my backpack, and headed for the airport. By the time I got back to Marion, the judge had already decided, and she was in jail. She became a symbol of a much larger conflict between two fronts. It seems as if there are some who believe that the culture should be one thing and others who believe in something else. And those two fronts were colliding in Rowan County. Both sides of that issue uh, are religious and non-religious. Both sides of the issue have things that they're afraid of and both of them have visions for what our country should be like and those two visions were colliding that day in Rowan County. So as I pushed away from the article when I got back home, I began to think that this really wasn't about uh, the right to religious freedom or the right for gay marriage. This was about something larger than that. This was bigger than just the interpretation of the law. That perhaps this was a sign of the times. Perhaps the two poles touching each other in that county on that day, like two hot wires, were signaling to us that the times in which we live are changing. And some people are ready for the change, and some are not ready for that change. And therein lies the conflict. Last week, I suggested that what we need to do is to step back occasionally and ask ourselves, what time is it? What's happening around us while we're busy trying to make everything happen? 
And then what kind of person is called for in these times and what specifically are the people doing in these times to serve their present age? The last few months I've pulled away and I've read tons of scripture, predominantly the prophets. I think that's where I would anchor my interpretation of these times. I've read lots of other books. I've had lots of conversations and taken long walks with the Lord. And everything that I see in our culture points to two trends. I want to point those out quickly and then move on with the word from Jeremiah. One of the trends that I see happening in our culture is the gradual displacement of religion towards the margins. Particularly even the Christian religion. Because at least in our country, it has been the most prominent religion. And so the people that have been the closest to the center of our culture have up to this point been mostly Christians. And what we see in our culture is the gradual displacement of those people out of the center towards the margins. We see this when major decisions are made. The church is no longer even a thing to be gotten around. Matters are just decided and then even religious people are told they must deal with it. And so the Catholic Church must provide contraception due to health care. Theology, we can't stop for that. Even for the Catholic Church, they must comply by the same law everyone else does. Churches, some of them in the South, which in the past had taken immigrants and more or less nurtured them and cared for them, are being called in some cities to turn in the names of the immigrants they've cared for if they're illegal because it's in contradiction to the state. In Houston, pastors were asked last fall to submit their sermons to the mayor so that she could review them for anti-gay propaganda. Universities, churches around the country are more and more fearing reprisal from the state if they do not comply with LGBT law. Now, a few years ago, there was always a place for people with theological convictions where they could hold to those convictions even in the center square, the center. But more and more, we're seeing religious people being told that they may practice their faith privately, but keep it out of the public realm. So, candidates, when asked their view on the right to life or abortion, will say, my personal view is such and such, but I will not allow my personal views to affect the way that I would govern a society. Because they are well aware that religion, while not illegal, is controversial at this time in history. It has not always been this way, but it is certainly that way today. Are you with me? Now you can argue about this or write me emails, but this is the way I see it at this time in our history. The biblical word for that is exile. In the Old Testament, it happened twice. It happened in 722 when the Assyrians came in and uprooted the northern part of Israel and carried them off into exile. And then it happened in the 6th century, in the late 500s, when Babylon came in, into Jerusalem, 
And they knocked down the city walls. They burned the temple. They chained the king and led him off in a procession in front of all of his citizens. They went into Jerusalem and they migrated people by the thousands out of their homeland into foreign countries. Now it's important to remember what they were doing. They weren't killing their enemies. They were simply relocating them. Because they knew if they could take the critical mass and they could scatter it in a thousand different directions, in a day when there was not mass communication, they could not talk to each other. And so you didn't need to destroy them. You would move them to the margins where they would be gradually assimilated into the new land. Why destroy citizens when you could have more over time? So the biblical word for this is exile, but it's important to remember that today, as in the time of the Bible, this does not happen all at one time. Exile is not a single major event. Exile occurs when subtle currents begin to change underneath the surface. The winds have shifted and no one notices. Few people report it, and when they do, fewer people read it. But the subtle erosion of traditions under the surface sets up a signature event, and suddenly there's a moment, a signature moment, that everyone notices, but all it does is formalize the changes that have subtly been taking place. So when the Supreme Court comes out a few months ago and changes the definition of marriage, people that were ignoring the undercurrent were shocked. But almost no one else was. The rest of us looked at the culture and said, you're surprised? There has been subtle changes going on all along. This is only the formalizing of that. So exile does not happen with one signature move. It happens gradually over time in a combination of little subtle changes and significant public events. The other thing to remember is that exile is not persecution. The church is not being persecuted. It's being marginalized. It's losing its social significance. But it is not being destroyed. So the temptation or the danger in exile is not that religious people will be eliminated, but that they will be assimilated into the dominant culture. Are you still with me? Because this feels to some of you like a lecture, doesn't it? We're getting there. Hang on. Take a drink.
So the first thing I see in our culture is that the faithful, if you want to call them that, are, are being asked to leave. The second thing that I see is that out here on the margins, God is building a remnant of faithful people. Right behind me, I'm in my 50s, right behind me is the generation of people uh, that God is raising up to become true and faithful to His Word. You guys, regularly, regularly, I meet people who have rediscovered the Scriptures. They are reading the words of Jesus. Watch this. And they're taking them literally. They are actually practicing what Jesus says. And so they are willing to make huge sacrifices for His name. These are people that do different things with their money. They raise their kids with different visions. They have different occupations in mind for their kids than the ones that religious people have always had. They don't know each other. They're not talking. It's not a conspiracy. In some cases, they don't even know each other. But there is something happening out here on the margins that no human can put together we're beginning to hear things from people that were once not close to the holiness movement suddenly start to say things that sound like the holiness movement was saying 150 years ago. They're even reading the works of Hannah Whittle Smith, which came from the holiness movement. You know, it's this, it's this woman in the 1800s who writes almost this remnant theology and there are people not within that movement discovering these things and some people see a rise of a holiness movement that is not from within the holiness movement thank God it's not together yet but it's happening now I've told you two things and it's important that you see both of these to understand the words of Jeremiah. One more time, we are seeing the displacement of the faithful from the center, and we are seeing the rise of the faithful on the margins, happening at the same time. If all you see is the center, then you worry about every major change that takes place. Every time the courts rule, or the judge judges, or something happens in our culture, you're tempted to feel like you're losing ground. And the reason you feel that, as I do, is because you're not aware of what God is doing on the margins. If you knew what He was doing on the margins... You would grieve the loss, but you would look to the new rise of the faithful and you would say, there is a new thing coming. 
Change is easier if you see both of these things. Because you're not just trying to hold on to something. You're letting go of it so you can take something new. What's typical among older people, those that are my age uh, and up, is that every time we feel like we're losing ground, we fight. Um, We're like the kid who's in the living room with his parents. And when the time comes and the parent looks at the kid and just says, go to your room. (laughs) And he doesn't want to leave. But he knows he's got to leave because he's the kid. So what he does is he backs out of the room slowly. And while he backs out of the room, he's shouting things at the parents. I mean, if he's a child, he doesn't. I hope he doesn't. He'll get beat, whipped. I'm sorry, scolded. This is more politically correct. (laughs) But if he's older, he'll argue with the parents. So, So when Kim Davis is asked to leave the room, what she says in two sentences, the first one was, I am ready to face the consequences of my decisions. But then the next sentence to the protesters was, and someday you will face the consequences of your decisions in judgment. You see it? And that's where you want to say, you are so right at first. This is like the child saying, I will go to my room because you're in charge of this home, but someday God will send you to your room in hell. You know, you don't have to wax eloquent here. You're not a prophet. You're a kid. You see? Old people do that all the time. Out here, younger people often, because they're so young, they can't remember what was lost. So what they do is they stay out here and they say, we're not becoming more secular. We always were secular. And so they become impatient. They cannot grieve the changes. They lack a moral courage. And my fear for the younger is that more ground will be lost in their day. And they will one day begin to feel what the 70-year-old feels, but may not be ready for it because they have disengaged from the culture. They're just sort of colonizing out on the margins, finding other faithful people and having a little huddle. Great worship services But somehow, the world goes on as before. They are, in the words of John Mayer, waiting on the world to change. When in fact, the world will never change if all they do is wait. Frequently, when I talk to younger people, I am surprised at how little they know of the news. 
I'm asking them if they've heard of this or read that or what they think about that. And so often the response is, I didn't even know that was happening. And it's been happening for weeks. And I think it's a form of disengagement. I think they're in one way they're just saying, look, I'm in my 20s and 30s. You old people are in charge. But they do not know within 10 years, the old person's going to walk up and hand them a culture and say, here it is. It's time for me to go. And they will not have the attention or the patience or the courage to deal with it. Do you see why this is relevant? Do you? Word from Jeremiah to both cultures. When you get moved to the margins, choose the way of humility over the way of resistance. When people resist, they blame the world. They blame judges, they blame leaders, they blame culture, they blame young people, they blame the media, they blame whoever they are for making the world what it is. They complain, grumble, they clamor, they try to get back the ground they feel they've lost. And when people are younger, the way that they resist is to disengage. They just turn their back on whatever is happening and say, let it burn and let's start over. And Jeremiah says, when you're losing your place in the center, choose the way of humility instead of the way of resistance. Now the way that he says this is in a letter to exiles, which was read to you just a few moments ago. Let me summarize in three sentences what he said. First, remember, I am the one who sent you into exile. So go quietly. If you go quietly, it will be good for you. If you fight it, you'll get crushed. Two, this is going to take longer than you think. So settle down. Build houses, plant gardens, get married, have babies, have grandbabies. You don't do that if you don't think there's going to be a future. So what he's saying is, you have a future, but it's not coming right away. Settle down out here on the margins. 
Then the third thing he says is, and remember, you belong to the city. So get involved. He says, seek the peace of the city. Pray for it. It's not a form of compromise. Don't think small. Increase in number. Grow. Develop. Expand. Get degrees. Have dreams. Try to build what God is giving you. Just remember, it's a different time in history. So it may not come as easy as you think. But don't let that stop you. Build. Strive. Grow. Engage with the city where God has put you. Because if the city prospers, you will prosper. And religious people all over think, no, no. I prosper if God makes me prosper. Yeah, but every prophet, and Paul himself says, you prosper because God has put authorities over you so that when they prosper, they're like an umbrella of protection. You keep wanting to break out on your own and do your own thing and you want your own little world, but you can't handle your own little world. You need to function inside of structures, but you need to submit, to yield. So often, what happens when Christians, churches, are being marginalized, they're so busy staking out their positions. Every time something changes, we look at it and we say, we don't believe in that. Here's our position. But what we don't realize is that in a time of exile, we are not being judged according to our position. We're being judged according to our disposition. So that even if we're right about the situation, our attitude sours our spirits. So they look at us and say, even if you are right, I still hate you. I still wouldn't want to live with you. You must be miserable. You and your rightness. This is Miss Davis's problem. She keeps restating her position. But her body of work is in contradiction to that position. And so even if she's right, she's lost. Because the culture is not judging the thing she keeps presenting, leading with. Are you still there? This is a hard word, church. But this is our word today. This is a word from Jeremiah to us. Remember, I am sending you into exile, not somebody else. Because once you're on the margins, I can do things with you that you can only get on the margins. There are... Writing for African Americans in the 1940s, on the eve of the Jim Crow laws, 
the African-American Howard Thurman in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, says that there are some virtues in life that only the disempowered can have. You have to lose power in order to find them. It's not that God won't give them to you in the center. It's that they don't come from the center. They come from the margins. And so often when we resist people, we sacrifice things internally, spiritually, because of positions that we are trying to take. Jeremiah says, God is sending you there. Go quietly. It's going to take a while. Settle down. Get entrenched. Think large. And stay engaged. In his letter to exiles in the New Testament, there's a fellow named Peter. And what Peter taught me while I read him this summer was that exile is not always something that happens to citizens or churches. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it happens to people at work. They're under leaders that they don't like. They think they can't trust. They have double agendas. And so when Christians go into workplaces where people are over them and they're not doing the right thing, Christians tend to resist this too. And Peter says, be humble. Sometimes Peter says this happens in families You're in a family and the person who is quote-unquote in charge of the family is doing everything wrong and the tendency of the religious person is to resist them as if they're somehow making a stance against compromise. And Peter said to women who were being told to live with their difficult husbands, he said, even though they do not believe the word, that's your position, Let them be won by your behavior. That's your disposition. Let your argument be your life, not your mouth. Sometimes people feel this in churches. They feel that their pastors, their staff, the leaders are doing everything wrong and they will rise up and resist it. As if they're going to somehow save the future of that church. And Peter says to them, be humble and submit and let God go to work on your leaders. This is the word I put out to you this morning. Take a posture of humility. Not resistance. It's true. You are losing your place in the center. It's true. It's happening faster than you think, and it's probably not going to change anytime soon. You are being sent directly to your room, so go quietly. And wait for God to pull together a new community out here from which He will build the church of the future. And while you wait, engage with the city that just sent you to your room. (laughs) 